We are up to chapter 5, Mishnah number 8, and this is the first Mishnah of our chapter that is not going to give us a list of 10 things, it's going to be a list of 7 things, and then we're going to move on to lists of 4 things, and then we're going to move on to lists of 3 things, and so on. The Mishnah uh, in this particular chapter is going to deal with a lot of lists, and now we're up to a list of 7 things. Shiva Devarim Begolam. There are seven things that characterize a golem, which here is translated as an uncultivated person. Veshiva, Bechacham, and seven that characterize a wise person. Okay, let's see what the seven are. Chacham, number one. A wise person does not begin speaking before someone who is greater than he in wisdom or in number of followers. Number one. Number two. And does not interrupt in the middle of the words of his fellow. Number three. And he does not rush impetuously to respond. He asks questions with relevance to the subject and he replies accurately. And he speaks about the first things first and about the last things last. And regarding things that he has not heard, he says, I have not heard. And number seven, he acknowledges the truth. These are the seven characteristics of a wise person. And the reverse of these things characterize an uncultivated person. Okay, so this is a list of seven things. Seven things that characterize a wise person versus a golem, which we're translating here as an uncultivated person. Now, the term golem is a very interesting choice of word. Of course, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, there's this golem, there's golem, or if you're familiar with the story of the golem of Prague, the legend that the Maharal of Prague created this golem or golem kind of figure, like a like a human who's not fully developed, can't speak, doesn't have intellect, or doesn't have higher degrees of intellect. That is the word being used here in our Mishnah. What exactly is a golem, an uncultivated person? So I saw an amazing Rambam here, and as an aside... Perhaps the greatest expert, one of the greatest experts of all time in the precise meaning of words and understanding the subtleties of, of different words and, and things that are synonymous or almost synonymous and the slight, minute, subtle differences, that's the Rambam. And he begins his comment to this Mishnah by telling us that there are various different words to describe someone who is maybe underdeveloped, uncultivated, not so wise, not so intelligent. And he gives us a list of three things that are going to be featured in the Mishnah's upcoming. One of them is a bar. A bar literally means a pit, but it also means a boar, like a boorish person. Am ha'aretz. Am ha'aretz means part like, like a regular person, common folk, and a golem. And then there's the flip side, the wise person, the chacham, the wise person, and the chassid, which is the extra wise person or extra pious person. What exactly are the differences between these things? So he tells us that a boar or a bar is a person that has no qualities. 
not the intellectual qualities, not qualities of character and, and personality. And this person is almost like a like like an empty slate. He's got nothing going for them. And just like a pit. You know, if you want to cultivate your tomatoes or your potatoes or your wheat, and you have a pit, the pit is absolutely useless. Nothing could grow there. Similarly, the boorish person is someone that really has nothing going for them or has no qualities worthy of admiration. Nothing could grow on that particular person. That's the boor. And then there's the amha'aretz. The amha'aretz is like the common person and common folk. And this person, they have certain qualities of personality and of character, but they're not so intelligent. They're not so wise. You can't rely on them on matters of, of intellect and kind of conceptual ideas. And this is a person that is a useful and productive member of society. They could hold down a job. They could be a good spouse, maybe even a good, a good parent, a functioning member of society. But they're, they don't have Torah. They don't have wisdom. And this kind of person is called a Am Haaretz. And there are some qualities that they have, but other qualities that they lack. And then you have the golem. The golem is someone that has qualities both of character and personality and of intellect. But the term golem explains the Rambam is someone who is not developed. It's like almost like a clod, like a thing that's not fully completed. It's uncultivated. It's it's unfinished. It's an unfinished product. It's half-baked. And such a person, they need to kind of learn the skills to hone and sharpen and develop and cultivate themselves to become a chacham. And because they have some qualities and they have some deficiencies as well, there's almost like a mixture, the Ram tells us. It's like a hodgepodge. There are certain things that are good and there are certain legitimate qualities, but because they're not honed and refined and developed, it is akin to something which is unfinished, just like if you have a vessel that's under construction, it's not yet done, it's not yet useful, in the language of the Mishnah, the language in Hebrew, it's called a golem, because it still needs to go to the craftsman, to the artisan, to be finished, and to give it its final look, its final shape, and it's not done, it's not perfected. And here the golem is someone that has the, the qualities, but they're mixed up, they're, they're, they're not organized, and they're not yet complete. And then when you have the level of a chacham, a wise person, that's someone who has all the qualities, and they are developed, and the highest level is a chassid, a pious person, who is a chacham, a wise person, plus they have additional qualities that are above and beyond the call of duty. Okay, so that's just the introduction. What exactly do we mean when we talk about a golem in our Mishnah? A golem is someone that has the ability, that has the qualities, but they're disorganized and they're not, they're not clear and there's a mix and they need to refine and develop further the qualities in order to become a finished product. And thus, the seven qualities of our Mishnah that differentiate a chacham, a wise person, from a golem, from this uncultivated person, are essentially the seven keys 
to develop that wisdom to transition from someone who is a disorganized golem into someone who is a chacham, into someone who is a wise person. If we want to develop and cultivate the potential that we have within us, this is the place to start. So let's go through these seven themes and see what we can learn. So the first thing it tells us is that a chacham, a wise person, does not speak before someone who is greater than he in wisdom or in number. So the first quality that is being described here is that of silence. To be quiet and to listen and thus to learn. When you are born, you're born with a lot of potential, but that needs to be developed. And one of the best ways that it gets developed is by learning. And by learning from others who are more wise, who are more experienced, who have more knowledge than us. But the only way to do that is A, to be silent, B, to listen, and thus to learn. So the first thing the goal needs to do if they want to become a chacham, if they want to become a wise person, is to learn this quality. Your brain is not learning when you are speaking. A wise person is someone who considers that perhaps their priors, meaning the perspective and the attitude and the views that they walked into a discussion with, may be wrong or flawed. And therefore, you're always open to have your priors being challenged. The golem is not like that. The golem wants to speak and wants to have their opinion and wants to share their opinion and wants to blabber. And the way to become a chacham, the way to become a wise person, is to listen to people that you disagree with and to be able to change your mind. The golem wants to talk. The golem wants to pontificate, to blabber, to bloviate, not to listen and learn. And I think there's a certain irony here. You know, the word golem, the way it's defined by the Rambam, is something which is unfinished. But in their head... Everything is already settled science. Everything's already fin- finished. Everything that they currently believe is to be unchallenged. And that's why they always want to talk. They always want to share their opinion because they think that their opinion is, is finished. If I believe it, it must be true. And that's the problem. A chacham is always upgrading. A golem is plateauing, is stagnating. And of course, when you stagnate, you begin to regress. So the first thing you have to know if you want to become a wise person is to stop and to be quiet, and to listen and consider what others are saying. It's sometimes we, when we're in a debate or discussion, we're just waiting for an opening to say our opinion. And where our opinion comes from, who knows? Most likely it was just assigned to us by the television show that we watched, by the article that we read, by the particular kind of indoctrination that we received, or maybe we can even call it education, but... Education and indoctrination and brainwashing, as we know, are really different words for the same thing. Sometimes the brain actually needs to be washed if it's a little dirty, right? Brainwashing is a good thing sometimes. But if you walk into a discussion and you are sure, you are positive, the person sitting opposite you is ridiculous, is spewing nonsense because what you know is what is true. After all, you know it. It must be that it's true. That attitude is the attitude of the golem 
They just want to speak. And here we're told, if you want to become a Chacham, you're always upgrading. You're always refining. Your positions on certain matters are willing to be challenged. And to do that, you have to actually listen and actually consider that it's possible the person who's sitting opposite you may have a point that you could benefit from. So that's number one. Number two, which is a very similar idea, that you do not interrupt in the middle of the words of others. When someone is saying an opinion, someone is saying a statement, someone is even asking a question, let someone finish their point and don't interject. And yesterday, actually, I was privy to a COVID argument. It was a wild COVID argument. Masks or no masks, Fauci, the CDC, vaccines. Should teachers be mandated to have vaccines? What about if someone already had the virus? They have acquired immunity. Does it make sense to give them vaccines? Should we trust the experts? Should we trust the CDC? Should we trust Fauci? It was a very lively discussion. And I was just an outsider observing it. And it was like this cacophony of screaming. And no one was letting anyone else finish their point. And one person was saying, well, tell me, who, who's your doctor? Who's your doctor? And I was like, well, what does it matter? Who's your doctor? Fauci lied. And I'm like listening to this conversation. They're both talking on different wavelengths. And no one's allowed to say their opinion because before they finish their statement, someone else interjects and starts screaming back at them. And I found this to be a very unproductive conversation, not just because it's an unproductive conversation in general. And it's not very helpful, right? But also, even if you wanted to have a productive discussion on this matter or any other matter, the way to do it is to clarify what is the other person saying. If you cannot restate your opponent or your uh, opponent's bad work because we're not opponents. We're trying to find the truth, right? So the person you're talking to, you're conversant. If you cannot state their opinion more clearly than they could state it, you are probably not a good candidate to have this debate. A debate is only productive if I can restate your opinion in a way that's even better than the way you stated it. And I really distill the discussion down to what we're actually arguing about. What is the core of the discussion? Not just what's the posturing or, you know, what's the, the, the emotional angle of it or what makes me feel good or bad or safe or secure. If you could actually state the opinion of the person you're talking to and they say, yes, that's what I mean. And you could clarify exactly at what juncture of that do you disagree? And you could separate out, okay, this we agree upon, this we agree upon, this we agree upon, this we agree upon. And this is the core of the discussion. And this is what you say, this is what I say. That is the groundwork for a productive discussion. But the goal doesn't do that. Doesn't let the other person state their opinion. Doesn't let the other person clarify what they mean. Doesn't let the other person articulate what exactly is the point of contention. And that's not a productive discussion. That just descends into mayhem and arguing and even worse, name calling and the like we want to be a chacham, if we want to be a wise person, it is very advisable that we learn this still. Let the other person say that what their piece, say their piece, and only then let's evaluate it, see what the merits are, see what exactly we agree. Find what you agree before you find what you disagree upon. That's a very productive heuristic for figuring out exactly what it is that we're arguing about and what it is that we are disagreeing about. Okay, number three, 
You don't answer a question impetuously. And the commentaries explain, if someone asks you a question, you don't respond until you hear every angle of the question and every argument of the question. And let the person speak their piece before you give them an answer. Make sure you know all the facts before you consider an answer. And once you give the answer, don't give the answer until it's very clear. And that way your answer indeed will be on point and accurate. I know my grandfather, blessed memory, he was someone who excelled in this particular quality. Whenever people asked him a question, and he would get many, many, many questions every day, he would almost never give a knee-jerk answer. Almost always, he would sit and ponder, like for a minute. And you think a minute is not so much time. But try waiting 60 seconds before someone, before you give someone an answer. Just try that. It's almost impossible to do. To actually think about it. And I think the the way to frame this is that there's a there's a there's a famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow, written by a gentleman by the name of Daniel Kahneman. And he talks about system one versus system two thinking. There's two ways that we think. There is like the things that we already know and are firmly established. And those are the things that we could kind of pull at ease, we could call that maybe the the, the RAM, so to speak, the, the working memory that we have. And then there's the things that we think on system two level, where you think and ponder and your mind is very active to try to understand this, the, the subject matter and to try to think through it. This Mishnah is telling us that when you are presented a question, you must apply system two thinking to find the answer. Think it through. Actually use your brain. Mobilize the superpower that you have balancing on your shoulders. Think through the subject and only then give an answer. It's something we're not accustomed to doing. Most of the time we just give knee-jerk reactions, whatever pops into your head. Could you imagine an interview? You're interviewing someone and they say, let me think about that. Or better yet, if there's like a debate, like a political debate, and the person... The moderator asks the question, and the person says, let me think about that. I don't know exactly what the answer is. i got to think about that. And they spend a minute thinking about it. They would be ridiculed. Why? Because you have to give an answer right away. You have to give a little soundbite, a little zinger, right? you gotta, you, you got to resort to your talking points, right? It's a system that's designed for golems. That's the system we have. We want a wise president, but we set up a system that's designed to not get one. <laughs> Ain't that unfortunate? Here we're told how to do it. Now, I want to point to something very interesting. Our Mishnah tells us that when someone asks you a question, don't rush impetuously to give an answer. Spend some time pondering. Think about it. Don't give an answer right away. The problem is, there's a famous teacher in the Talmud, the book of Kedushin, page 30a, on the bottom, And the Talmud quotes a verse in scripture that tells us that we should teach the Torah to our children. But he uses a very unusual word, vishinantam, which means you should sharpen the Torah to your children. 
says the Talmud, why does he use that unusual word? The words of Torah should be sharp in your mouth. That if someone asks you a Torah question, you shouldn't mumble, you shouldn't fumble, you shouldn't say, I don't know, let me think about it. You should answer right away. This seems to directly contradict our Mishnah. Our Mishnah told us that when someone asks you a question, you should think about it, you should ponder it, you should question it, you should examine it. You should really ruminate and cogitate about the subject before you give an answer. And here the Talmud tells us, no, you have to give an answer right away. Which one is it? So I think the answer is like this. When it comes to matters of Torah, you have to become so familiar with the subject matter that it becomes second nature. It becomes part of your knowledge graph. It's the things that are so on top of your head that are so readily available to you. It's like if I asked you your name or I asked you to name your siblings, you know that right away. If you know Torah with such familiarity, you can answer any question right away and you don't need to resort to system two thinking. I remember someone once told me, the person's going to remain unnamed because I disagree with them. Someone once told me regarding Rabbi Elyashiv. Who was Rabbi Elyashiv? Rabbi Elyashiv was one of the greatest halachic authorities of the last hundred years. Passed away in 2012, I believe, at the age of like 105. But someone said, you cannot ask Rabbi Elyashiv halachic questions of matter of life and death. Why? Because it would be a question of life and death. A question of, of, of heart transplants, of of end-of-life questions, questions of very severe gravity. And the great rabbi would give you an answer in a second. You think about it, that's a life-and-death question. How could you even answer in a second? Therefore, this person told me, you cannot ask him life-and-death questions. I think that person is wrong. Why? Because this great rabbi spent a 100 years studying with such intensity and such commitment and such dedication 18 hours a day, that matters of life and death, those, the Torah question, the Torah elements of those questions are so clear to the, to him that he knows the answer right away. And it's the correct answer because it's already been upgraded to system one level thinking. He's not saying a hunch. He's not saying, he's not saying, he's not saying something that he hasn't thought through. He's saying something that it's so clear to him. It's actually accurate. That's with respect to Torah study. If you're a golem, you're not someone who has all that Torah study. You need to learn to develop it. And before you can actually have something which you know for sure to be true, you have to have a process of thinking it through, developing it, really thinking about it properly before it indeed becomes acquired. Okay, the next thing in our Mishnah is that you ask questions relevant to the subject, and you respond accurately. So the way the commentaries explain this is that whenever we're dealing with a certain subject and you want to ask the teacher a question, make sure it is on topic. Stick to the topic at hand. And the commentaries quote a Talmud. The Talmud says, when your teacher is involved in one matter and currently immersed in a certain matter, 
don't put, don't pull out a different book of Talmud that he hasn't seen in 10 years and say, oh, could you answer this question? It's not fair to the teacher to go off subject. If you want to answer that's on target, make sure the question is on target too. The next thing is that he speaks about the first things first and about the last things last. So simply put, this means that if there's two questions, you answer the first question first and the second question second. This is a quality we've seen. Rebecca, for example, Rashi tells us that Rebecca answered the first question first, the second question second. God as well in the conversation with Moshe. But the Rabbeinu Yonah says something fascinating here. What does it mean that you speak about the first things first and the last things last? What does that mean? So he says something fascinating. He says, first and last in this context doesn't mean chronology. It doesn't mean which question, or which subject was raised first and which was raised last. What it means is conceptually. In conceptual priority, which of these ideas are more important than the other? And this is what we would call first principles thinking. Any idea, any subject, there are the basic building blocks of those ideas. And we would call that the, we would call those the first principles. And you have those ideas first. And on top of that, you build those ideas. So if you want to answer a question, there is a system of trying to figure out what is the correct answer called first principles. Find out what is the kind of the basis of this idea and what are the things that are built on top of that. And if you have the first principles organized correctly, then on top of that, the things that flow out of that can emerge quite seamlessly and naturally. So when it says you answer or discuss the first things first and the last things last, says Rabbeinu this means first in the hierarchy of conceptual priority. What are the things that are the basis, the first principles of a given subject? And that is what you address first. And only later do you talk about the specific applications of that. Only then do you kind of draw the conclusions based upon those first principles. And that's a, a good heuristic, a good system for figuring out anything. What is the basis? What are the foundations? What are the building blocks of this subject? And what are the takeaways? What are the things that emanate, things that emerge from it? First principles first. Once you have that system, you build out of that. Whereas the golem, the golem is working with like ideas, isolated, discrete ideas, examples, analogies, and the like. And those, that system of using anecdote and analogy and trying to compare things in a vacuum without understanding where the things come from, without using first principles thinking, then uh, that is a way to come to erroneous conclusions. Okay, so number six is that what you don't know or what you haven't heard, you say you haven't heard. So again, Rebbein explains what this means. Suppose there's a subject at hand. There's a discussion and you have some ideas. And you have some traditions as well. 
you have principles as well that you have received. When you respond to a given subject, it's okay for you to posit. It's okay for you to speculate. It's okay for you to opine on the matter. That is perfectly fine. However, you have to delineate. You have to differentiate. There has to be clear, defined boundaries separating what you know for a fact based upon observation, based upon evidence, based upon tradition, based upon the sources clearly maintaining that, that has to be separate from what you are speculating. So for example, this is obviously something that comes up a lot in Torah. If someone has a Torah question, if the Talmud talks about it, then you would say, okay, this is featured in the Talmud. If the Talmud doesn't talk about it, or if you're not aware of the Talmud talking about it, you must say, I don't know if this is indeed an established, a given point. I could still suggest, speculate, and maybe throw out ideas. That's okay. But I have to make that distinction clear. You have to know what you know and what you don't know, and maybe what you think. Those have to be separate. And in the eyes of the Chacham, in the eyes of the white person, they're separate. The Golem has a mishmash of the things that they know and the things that they don't know, but they think. And that is, again, one of the differentiations between these two. And finally... We have mode ala emes, when someone admits to the truth. When you have a debate with someone or a discussion with someone, and sometimes there comes a point in time in the discussion that you realize that you're conversant, that your opponent, the person you're talking to, is actually correct. And your perspective on the matter is incorrect. What you do at that moment determines if you're a golem or if you're a chacham, if you are an uncultivated, unfinished product, or you are a wise person. A wise person wants truth. A golem wants to win, wants to triumph, doesn't want to admit any failures, any shortcomings. So the golem will persist, will continue arguing. We'll say, yeah, but does that really work? Or maybe we'll even descend, as narcissistic people do, to attach on the person, to ad hominem attach. We'll say, are you so much better than me? Who are you to talk to me? Don't you remember we did yesterday, the day before, the previous year? When you lose on the merits, the golem either changes the subject or starts speaking on something unrelated or starts devolving into a word salad of just random words that don't string together. The Chacham, the wise person, knows, I want the truth. I want to know the truth. And if you want to know the truth, and the truth is presented to you on a silver platter, you say thank you. You say, I appreciate that. I say, You say, you know what? You are correct. And I thank you for illuminating it for me. And sometimes you could be clever and you could say, I'll disprove you or I'll find a flaw in your argument even though you know the argument is accurate. And that is the mark of the golem. And there are many legends about great chacham, great wise wise people, when they were disproven, it's a mark of greatness when someone asks you a question 
that destabilizes or uproots your opinion, your position, your idea on a given matter. And you say, you know what? You are correct. I'm incorrect. And I'm here by adopting your opinion. Someone does that. That is indeed the mark of a wise person. So here we have it. We have a list of instructions for us. If we are undeveloped intellectually, we're a golem. In the words of our Mishnah. It means that we have perhaps the potential to become a chacham, to become wise people. But we need to follow these seven keys to wisdom. We follow these seven keys to wisdom. We indeed will become a wise person because the golem has the chops and can be upgraded into a chacham provided that they learn the keys, the secrets, if you will, to wisdom. And here we have it. Seven secrets to wisdom. I think if you're listening, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. Rabbi spelled R-A-B-B-I, double B, B-B, like B-B Netanyahu, former prime minister. R-A-B-B-I. And Walby is spelled W-O-L-B-E-O, as an Oscar. And there's no letters between the B and the E. E as an echo, rabbiwalby at gmail.com. Send me your questions, send me your comments, send me your feedback. It is great to speak to you. I am currently in Muncie, New York. I'm by my parents' home. I'm in the basement. It's quiet. There's no construction. Things are great. Thank God our drive to the Northeast was uneventful. We're here, and we hope you are well wherever you may be. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.